Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about the things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Yesner. And I'm K.W. Taylor. This week, we're talking about this NBC science fiction series, Debris, a YouTube English teacher, and we watched the pilot of the classic sitcom, Rhoda. So, where would you like to begin today, K.W.? Well, let's, if you don't mind, I'd love to talk about Debris. I've been Mm -hmm. really, really kind of, I don't, not obsessed, but I'm very into it. I'm very into it. Okay. Have you started watching this at all or? I watched the first episode today because I'm very intrigued by how much you like it. Uh Uh-huh. And you've compared it to Fringe, which is one of my favorites. So I'm, I'm not hooked yet, but I'm open-minded. Well, it's created and co-executive produced by J.H. Wyman, and he worked on Fringe. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there are some similarities there, I think. So for those of you who haven't seen it, it's on NBC, and I think it's on Monday nights. I watched it on Hulu, so I don't actually know what night it is. <laughs> I should have checked that. No, that's okay. <laughs> Time isn't real anymore. So. Time is not real. <laughs> so the basic premise is that this is after... A period of time after which there was a, an alien spacecraft that fell to Earth, but it broke apart and a bunch of different sections of it fell in different places around the world. And so there's a task force that is partnering between the CIA and MI6. And so we mostly follow these two operatives. One is a CIA, American CIA agent named Brian Beneventi, and his partner is an MI6 operative named Finola Jones. Brian is played by Jonathan Tucker. Fanola Jones is played by Rianne Steele. She's from The Magicians, so I really like her. And the CIA boss, Craig Maddox, is also a character. And there's this guy who's a bad guy named Anson Ash. And he, he works with this group called Influx that are trying to steal pieces of debris to use for nefarious purposes. But the actor's name who plays this guy is named Scroobius Pip, which is the <laughs> greatest name I have ever heard in my life. So wow. It's not his real name. Okay. He's, it's a stage name. He was like a <laughs> British rapper and podcaster before he became an actor. Okay. So. <laughs> There's also George Jones is Finola's dad. He's a scientist and he's played by Tyrone Benskin. And so those are kind of the main characters. And most every episode up to a certain point when they've started to get a little bit more serialized was a self-contained episode in which Brian and Fanola would go to a different place in the U.S. and investigate some kind of strange phenomenon going on with a piece of debris that's been discovered. They would usually try to recover the debris to take back to their organization and help any people who have been adversely affected by the debris, which has included, there's an episode where people are getting cloned. There's an episode where people People have suffered from things like amnesia, different sort of like mutations. There's an episode where people are no longer able to breathe normal oxygen. Oh. So the air near them is poisoned, but they're, they've been adapted to be able to breathe this different chemical composition of air. Oh my gosh. But if they leave this area, they would get exposed back to oxygen and die. Jeez. Yeah. There's one where people are involved in mind control, and then the most recent episodes have been a little bit more serialized and have to do with a pair of twins who, they're teenagers, and they encounter a piece of debris in the sea outside their house in Washington State, and by exposing themselves to this piece of debris, they end up going back in time two days, but what they don't realize is that they're, every time they go back in time, they're going to a different universe. 
And eventually they get to a universe where, like, separately, they're in different universes from each other. And so it's a multi-episode arc where you see each twin trying to get back to the universe where they're together. Oh, geez. And it also ends up separating Brian and Finola from each other. And it's really interesting. Hmm. And I feel like that's where things get pretty cool. But I just really like it because um, it is very much like Fringe. It's also got this sort of vaguely Canadian (laughs) air about it, which I really like. I don't know how to describe that. Like people who watch a lot of science fiction, a lot of sci-fi is filmed in Canada. Mm -hmm. Fringe was filmed in Canada largely and uh, the X-Files and other shows, the magicians and stuff, even if it's not set there. And so it has a certain, you know, oh, look at that veteran Canadian character actor (laughs) in this guest starring role (laughs) quality about it. Yep. It also has this bluish tinge to how it's filmed in Mm. some scenes, which I think is beautiful. And the music is sort of eerie and quiet. And everything about it is a little bit slow and a little bit quiet. And I know that that's not working for some viewers, but Mm -hmm. for some viewers, it's working a lot. And for me, it's working really a lot because I find it incredibly soothing. Even though there's moments of violence and chaos and scariness, for the most part, it's so it's so weirdly soothing, and I don't know why. <laughs> no, that's I don't cool. Know. <laughs> it's just the tone of it is. But I really like I really like Finola mm-hmm. a lot. I don't love the guy who plays Brian. Yeah, he's a little strange. I I did read that they they're doing COVID type filming. They're they're limited a little bit in their filming by COVID, so sometimes the actors are not actually filmed together, and I think that has made their interactions on occasion feel a little awkward. Mm-hmm. And so that that could be why I'm not really connecting with him very much. I like him a lot better in the more recent episodes. So hopefully he will grow on me a little bit more. Cool. And Maddox, as a character, we learn over time that he might be a little sketch. So that's kind of an interesting storyline. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I I have not seen enough of it to give a good opinion. But yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with everything and how things tie together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting so far. I'm going to keep an eye out for the tone and the, the sort of slowness that you were talking about because I felt that a little bit, but I didn't really, I didn't know if it was going to be like a long-term thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't think every episode is slow. I like, mm-hmm. there's just... And I don't mean slow in a bad way. I think they're letting right. it unfold in a way that feels like they're not having things explode just for the sake of visual appeal. They're letting this be very storyline driven, which I really like. Yeah. And the first episode deals a lot with grief, mm-hmm. which is interesting for a first episode because, I mean, there are some weird things that happen and you're like, what's going on? And that sort of pulls you in. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it's not... I mean, it's it's an accessible topic, but it's not like a super exciting topic for a pilot Mm -hmm. episode. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a very deliberate choice and an interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, they did choose a piece of debris. The piece of debris discussed in the pilot can make people be able to like phase through matter, which I think is visually dynamic, Mm -hmm. but it, it, it isn't even the most exciting power that a piece of debris has um, as the series goes on. So if you're not really drawn in by that one, know that there's probably another one coming up that's going to be even more interesting to you. But cool. I, I liked that they just chose 
one that was as powerful as any other, where uh, comparatively, I remember in Fringe, the first episode was about something very dramatic that was not really commensurate with how the series sort of proceeds. So, so yeah, I think they made a, a more interesting choice here, a more nuanced choice for their pilot, for sure. Cool. Yeah. Do you know how many episodes are going to be in this season? I think that it's going to end with a 12-episode season. Okay. It has not been renewed yet. So I think that the last episode of the season is going to air on May 17th. Okay. So, yeah. And that's episode 12. I really, I'm just surprised that, like, I thought the premise sounded a little bit dull. And it reminded me of Manifest. Hmm in its very specific premise. But Manifest sort of does everything the opposite of what Debris does. Manifest is very, lots of things happen, very explosion-y and, and dramatic and very heightened acting and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I stopped watching Manifest after just a few episodes. <laughs> so this is a little bit more my jam, or at least it's my jam right now. It's acting like the pandemic never happened or it's set in a time that it's not happening. So if you want some relief from any shows that are depicting the pandemic, it is not a plot point at all. Great. Because <laughs> I do not care for pandemic fiction at the yeah. moment. Yeah, there is no mention of it. I mean, worse things are going on, so it's not like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you want to avoid specifically references to the pandemic, you can absolutely do that. <laughs> cool. Well, great. <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying it so much. Thank you. And I'm going to keep watching it as well. Groovy. And you've been watching Groovy. something totally... <laughs> that's in preparation for what we're talking about later, but uh, you've been watching something totally different on YouTube. So mm -hmm. yeah, tell me about this. Yeah, I'm not actually super into YouTubers. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you are. Not really. Yeah, I feel like it's sort of... I'm a little bit too old for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just so much YouTube content. So I don't pay attention to stuff that much. Also, with like pop culture and movies and songs and stuff like that, there's so much criticism and, and commentary that I really only pay attention if it's someone I know or admire. Mm -hmm. So I don't even go seek stuff out. But my friend Aaron, my friend Aaron sent me this YouTuber who goes by English teacher KP. Okay. And she's fantastic. <laughs> so I got I got really hooked on her videos. She comes out with like five or six videos a week. Oh, wow. Which is bananas. But the reason I really like her is, first of all, Erin got me into her because she will analyze Taylor Swift songs. <laughs> <laughs> so that's very fun. But she's an English teacher and she will do a lot of blind reactions to Taylor Swift songs. So she's analyzing them as she hears them for the first time. So she'll do a lot of pausing and be like, okay, let's go through these lyrics and see what they mean, mm -hmm. which I think is really, really cool. And that's the sort of stuff I, I live for because, you know, I've been doing that since high school. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you're into that sort of stuff too. Oh, yeah. Analyzing yeah. songs and poetry and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's so much fun. Mm -hmm. And it's cool to see someone else's perspective about it because sometimes she'll come up with things that I didn't think about or there's stuff that she misses that people put in the comments and she'll comment back by like, oh, yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Like, thanks for pointing that out and stuff like that. So she doesn't only do Taylor Swift songs. Obviously, she does. She takes requests sometimes. So people have requested like 
Lord songs. I sent you a Lana Del Rey video that I haven't yeah. watched yet. She's done some Harry Styles and BTS, Hamilton songs, stuff like that. But she does other videos too. So she'll do videos called Makeup and Motifs. <laughs> and she'll do her makeup <laughs> while talking about motifs and different things. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. She's done some poetry videos. I watched an Emily Dickinson one yesterday where she analyzes it. And she will analyze poetry written by subscribers who send them in, which is very cool. Oh, neat. Yeah. It's just a lot of fun. I've been talking about it with Erin because she also is an Englishy literature person. And oh. we're like, it reminds us of being back in school, but like all the fun parts of school. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the pandemic, everyone's so isolated and I love talking to you about stuff, but mm-hmm. we don't always go in depth about like, listen to this lyrics and like, yeah, let's talk about what what her use of diction means and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really cool that English teacher KP is like, I love this word that she chooses and I love the alliteration and like, listen to how beautiful the, these words sound together and stuff like that. And it's just like really enthusiastic. Cool. So I really appreciate that about her. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't have a, like a ton to say except that she's delightful. <laughs> <laughs> and I highly recommend her videos if you're into that stuff, you know. Yeah, no, I, I think that that sounds really fun. And I feel like I might seek those out for especially for the next time I teach a literature course that if she happens to have mm-hmm. analyzed something that I'm that's on my syllabus, I think that would be <laughs> fun. I've been mostly teaching writing lately, so yeah. she she probably doesn't get into comp read theory too much. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> no. Oh, I did want to say that she does a whole video about commas. Ooh, I know it was Ooh. half an hour long. I watched the <gasps> whole thing. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Ooh, that could be fun. That could be helpful. Yeah. So that might be interesting for you. Yeah. For your students, because she definitely addresses comma splices, which are sort of the bane of my existence. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm guilty of using them when I'm texting, Mm -hmm. but that is one of the biggest things that I annotate on freshman papers is comma splice. Yeah. I don't mind it in informal stuff, but... Yeah, yeah. In like published books and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like there was this bestseller that I read and like every page there were like five comments places. Ugh. <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> I think also part of the issue is that when you do see it quote unquote wrong, which I'm putting in air quotes because grammar is a fiction. Yeah. It's imaginary. It's, you know, it's something we've agreed upon, but it has no <laughs> inherent value. But if you see it quote unquote wrong too much, you start to second guess yourself and I do that a lot right anymore with like common errors I suddenly am like wait a minute am I wrong (laughs) (laughs) so maybe some of these refreshers would be helpful for me (laughs) yeah they are helpful I second guess myself all the time because stuff like that Mm -hmm. yeah and I don't mean to sound like a big grammar snob no but mostly especially in like published stuff Mm -hmm. I like things to be consistent for clarity Yes. Yeah, but I, I'm not a fan of comma splices. I'm sorry. No, that's, I mean, <laughs> comma comma use is one of my persnickety things. And I think I'm, I have it down pretty, pretty well, but mm-hmm. it took a while. And I don't think I was even that young when I finally sort of figured it all out. So, yeah, you know, I think it is a weird 
some of these some of these things feel arbitrary and they it takes mm-hmm. a long time to kind of master so yeah yeah for sure it is very hard too mm-hmm. and there's there's that saying that we all heard in elementary school of put a comma where you pause in the sentence yeah <laughs> which Ugh. sometimes that works but sometimes it doesn't <laughs> no i think that's some of the i i really i think that sometimes young kids are given advice about grammar that is helpful in the moment, but not helpful long term. Mm-hmm. And it ends up getting hard to shake that habit or or piece of advice that, you know, to, to get it done in the moment can be very helpful, but it's not, oh, it's just not helpful long term. So I wish, yeah, I don't know. But on the other hand, I sure don't want to teach primary school grammar. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I think stuff like this is helpful because she's not berating anyone for not knowing comma usage and she's very patient and Mm -hmm. goes through exercises and stuff and explains everything and i guess you might have to be a really big lit nerd to to want to (laughs) watch a 30 minute video about commas yeah but i am a lit nerd i guess (laughs) but one of the points that i i forgot about before that i wanted to make was when she analyzes stuff she emphasizes that you know, she's going to miss things and not everything she says is going to be correct. And about how analysis is very individual. So everyone's going to get something different from it. So Uh I really love the moments in the videos where she pauses the song and then she's like, I don't know what that means. Let's work through it. Mm. So she's demonstrating that if you don't know off the top of your head, that's cool. Because Uh That's what talking about stuff is for, talking about the meanings of things and the and the way that words and phrases get used. So it's really fun to watch her tease out meaning. And it's a reminder that like, yeah, when I read stuff and I'm just like, what did that mean? It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I yeah. think a lot of people get really scared about analyzing poetry in particular. Mm-hmm. And Yet the same people may be big music fans. And I want to be like, it's really just kind of a a similar thing. Yeah. That if you at all pay attention to song lyrics, it's really not that much of a different mindset or skill set to look at poetry. I mean, there are other considerations that are specific to each genre. But yeah, I I think that if we try to make it seem friendly and fun and -hmm. like a little puzzle, but not in a bad pressury way. I think, too, with with analyzing fiction that I see people focusing on plot and character a lot, which are great. But one of the reasons, and I made a mention of this last week, that I read so slowly, for the most part, some things I read more quickly, but I read for pleasure slowly because I want to absorb that other stuff. Yeah. And even though I, you know, have all this literary schooling and stuff, to get all that other stuff still takes me a lot of, like, sometimes even rereading, mm-hmm. you know? So... It's not like I'm just magically absorbing it, that you really have to, you do have to study it quite carefully. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing or unfun. It just means that you're going more slowly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's hard work, but it's work. It's not like the more you study literature, it's not like it gets easier. It's just, (laughs) you have more (laughs) references. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're literally just teaching the same one book and you just reread that same book and you only look at criticism of that same book, <laughs> then I guess it probably gets easier. But if if you're like any normal person who's a reader or teacher or, or just person who's a fan of reading, 
it doesn't yeah it doesn't get any easier yeah i'd love to be able to read faster our our mm-hmm. friend and colleague jail gribble and give a shout out to her and our frequent guest rachel porter they are reading maniacs and they read faster than anyone i know yeah i can't even believe it i just i i yeah if i looked at their goodreads right now to see how many books they've each read this year alone, I would just start crying. <laughs> because I, I think one year I read 80 books. And it was because I was in my PhD. And I was just I had to and I so I did it. But I can't tell you that I read each of those 80 books very completely. And mm-hmm. I know some of them were graphic novels that I read for joy on my weekends to get away from yeah. reading literary theory or whatever. <laughs> so, so I can't imagine doing that and going, you know, 100 110% over that every year as a matter of course. That's just crazy to me. Yeah. I sometimes get sad about how slowly I read, but I try not to care. Like, it's not a competition. I'm no. just trying to enjoy myself. And I really love that there are different formats available now mm-hmm. because I do some some substantial driving. So audiobooks have been a great thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if, yeah. what my point was, but... <laughs> well, no, I mean, if it's just that however we consume the things that we're either listening to or, or reading visually, whatever works best for each individual person, I think is great. And I, I love ebooks and I love audiobooks, and I think those are how I prefer to read nowadays. But if somebody prefers, you know, paperbacks or hardbacks or has to read in, in quiet or whatever, I mean, whatever works for you, mm-hmm. make it fun. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what this YouTuber has reminded me that digging into literature for meaning can be really fun and should be fun. Mm -hmm. And I used to have a lot of fun with that. And then I sort of let it get too serious. But now she's reminded me that like, hey, this is very cool. This is very fun to do. Yay. So her handle is English teacher KP, just the letters KP. I don't think she's on Twitter or anything, but you can find her on Instagram and obviously YouTube. So I highly urge people to check out at least one or two of her videos and see if you get a kick out of it like I did. Cool. I will definitely check her out. And at least I'll watch the one you sent me about analyzing a Lana Del Rey song because that's yeah. obviously my jam. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> so we we haven't done a pilot in a while, but we're going to shift back to TV. Yeah. And you picked the pilot of Rhoda for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you give us a little bit of background on it and maybe why you chose it? Yeah. So I actually was, I don't even remember why I was looking for this, but I think I noticed on Hulu that the Mary Tyler Moore show was streaming and I always liked its spinoff Rhoda a little bit better when I was a very small child. (laughs) And so I searched to see if Rhoda was streaming anywhere and the only place I could find it was, was YouTube, but the entire series is on YouTube. So I, on a whim one night, super late, because I stay up way too late, watched the pilot, and I hadn't seen it since I was probably 10 years old. It used to run in reruns when I was really, really young, and I would watch it before I got ready for school in the morning. (laughs) It was on at probably 6 a.m. on Nick at Night or something. So I, I remember watching it in very early elementary school. So that was years after it had actually been on the air. So I watched it and I was like, you know, to me, I was surprised at how much it's sort of held up, even though it's from, it started in 1974, which is even before either one of us was born. Mm -hmm. 
and ran until 1978. So it was five seasons, 110 episodes, and it aired on um, CBS. And again, it was a spinoff of the Mary Tyler Moore show. But I think if you don't have any interest in watching that show, I don't know that you really need to know too much of the backstory of the character. Okay. So yeah, I just randomly was like, hey, I watched this. So let's do a pilot again. And <laughs> I was curious to see what someone younger than me would think of it. <laughs> In all honesty. And here I am. And here you are. (laughs) This is the Gen X versus Millennial podcast segment now. (laughs) Showdown. The generational brawl. That's right. That's right. (laughs) So anyway, I don't know. Do we want to talk about a little bit of a setup of the premise or get into the details of the pilot? Sure. I don't know if we have to do too many details, but the episode that I watched, which Mm -hmm. I believe was the first episode. Oh, okay. Rhoda is coming from Minneapolis to New York to visit her sister, Brenda. And it's a little bit, I found the pilot a little bit disjointed. Oh, okay. Because she she comes and she has some cute scenes with her sister and their mother. And then she meets a neighbor, Joe, who has a young son. And they go out on a date. I think Rhoda's staying for 12 days. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's 12 days later, and she decides she wants to stay for another week so she calls in sick to work and she and joe get into a little bit of an argument because joe is leaving on a work trip even though joe was like i wish you could stay longer and there wasn't very clear communication there and then they kind of make up and that's the end of the episode yeah yeah so <laughs> do you want to go into more detail than that yeah probably i mean rhoda morgenstern is the main character played by valerie harper the late Valerie Harper. Sadly, she just passed away a couple years ago. And her sister, Brenda, is played by Julie Kavner, who people may know as the voice of Marge Simpson. Oh. Yeah. And their mother is played by Nancy Walker. And their mom is kind of, I don't know if it comes through as much in the pilot. I did watch the second episode as well. So some details are bleeding together for me. Their mother, Ida, She's very small. Like the two girls are like average height and brunette and their mom is this little redhead and she's so short and small. It's kind of humorous. And she seems kind of like not very nice to them. Yeah. She's a little critical. She's a little like kind of essentially like, why are my 30 something daughters still single? And, you know, your apartment is too small. And yeah. And trying to set them up on dates and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Rhoda is a little bit more like bohemian in her dress and Brenda is a bank teller and she's a little bit, she seems a little bit more stereotypically sort of like the Kathy cartoon character of like, <laughs> yeah. ugh, I don't want to, you know, I have food issues and I'm depressed and I, you know, kind of a little overly stereotypical mm-hmm. behaviors of a single woman in her early 30s. And then, oh, the other thing that's kind of funny is that there's this recurring bit where Brenda's doorman Carlton is you only hear him over the intercom and he sounds like he's been having a few shots or something. <laughs> and he's a little sleepy sounding. He's played by Lorenzo Music, who also used to do the voice of Garfield the cat. <laughs> so oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then Joe, played by David Groh, who also has sadly passed away a couple years ago. I don't know. What did you think of his character? He's sort of a little bit all over the place in this first episode. That's exactly the phrase I was going to use. Well, it's very hard to get a sense of show and the characters in like 22 minutes. Mm -hmm. 
which is why I don't really want to make a judgment on the show until I watch a few more episodes. Mm-hmm. But I was just a little bit confused, <laughs> I think, because the episode skipped some time. I was like, where are we going? Where are we going? <laughs> and she starts this relationship with Joe. And then I don't think they said in the at the end of the episode, but I assume she stays in Manhattan, right? Yeah, she does. I mean, that's not a huge spoiler. The second the second episode, she has decided to quit her job in Minneapolis and move back. I mean, she's from Manhattan originally. And so part of episode two is her looking for an apartment and actually hearing hearing people quote prices of apartments in New York in 1974 was kind of hilarious. (laughs) Just because it's it was but it was still seen as unaffordable for the average person. So she ends Mm -hmm. up having to move in with her parents for a little bit. Okay. There was no confirmation of that in the first episode. Mm-hmm. So I was waiting for some sort of like, okay, here are all the influences that are making her decide to return to Manhattan. So I wasn't really, I just wasn't really sure what, where they were going with Joe, mm-hmm. you know, if it was going to be like a long-term thing or not. And I was just kind of confused, but along for yeah. the ride. Yeah. I, I almost wonder, I don't know. I haven't looked this up. I don't know if maybe the first two episodes were were actually shown back to back on the premiere night. Mm. And that would have helped make it clearer that she does decide to move back home because of Joe and that she realizes that she missed, she had missed her sister. And that she, Rhoda is a little bit of a free spirit. So she kind of has always been shown both on her own show and on the Mary Tyler Moore show being impulsive and being in, in kind of opposition to Mary, her best friend in Minneapolis, who was very sort of stayed and a little bit more deliberate in her decision making and a little bit more conservative in certain ways that she would behave. And Rhoda was seen as like the crazy neighbor who was like, hey, whatever, you know, why do you need to Mm -hmm. think things through before you do them? So (laughs) the idea that she would go home on a vacation and then end up like lying to her boss that she was sick and stuff and and then deciding, you know what, I'm just going to move back home and I'm going to find my own place in a much more expensive city than I was living in (laughs) Minneapolis and that that was totally within her character's wheelhouse. Okay. But it's funny too because she also serves as the slight voice of reason to Brenda who isn't like wild crazy but Brenda is much more maybe sort of seen as cynical and sad and careful. Mm-hmm. But then Rhoda can show like well, you know what, if you just kind of believe in yourself, you can eventually feel more confident and so she's trying to provide that mentorship the way that mary provided mentorship to her so okay yeah interesting yeah i did like brenda Mm -hmm. even though i think yeah some of the jokes about food and stuff and being depressed were a little bit dated yeah but i thought that there could be some interesting character development and choices for the two sisters so Mm -hmm. and it's nice to see Two, I mean, it's it's a sisterhood, not just friendship, but mm-hmm. it's nice to see two women as the leads of a show and have not all of their conversations have to do with guys. They do talk about stuff like that, but they also talk about, you know, just their own lives, their jobs and, and things. And so it's a Bechtel test passing show, <laughs> even this early. Yeah. And also, I mean, like Rhoda went to art school. There's a little intro where she talks about her a quick little biographical sketch of herself. She narrates it at the very beginning. So, I mean, she's educated, she's independent, 
She's 33 and unmarried, which is kind of for for that time period, I think it was seen as a little bit unconventional. Not now, certainly at all. But <laughs> I was going to say, if it's unconventional, I'm coming up on a spinsterhood. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it, she, she makes some little passing comment. Like, I think she asks Joe out mm-hmm. and she's marveling at her behavior and saying, like, thank you, Ms. Magazine. Yeah. So she's clearly <laughs> identifying as a feminist, at least subtly. So I think we're seeing Mary Tyler Moore was seen as kind of one of the first sort of overtly feminist TV shows. And so Rhoda is even more so in just kind of continuing that. So this is a very interesting period. This is, you know, sort of in the middle part of early second wave feminism. And so we have these images of successful single women who are just fine with living in a big city on their own and having friendships and navigating family things and dating or not. And yeah, so... And also, Rhoda is Jewish, and that's another thing that I think it was hailed for portraying a Jewish family mm-hmm. and a main character who is Jewish. So, yeah. Cool. Let me, I do want to mention just a little bit of the early 70s sort of aesthetic <laughs> <laughs> within fashion, set design, things like that. Did you have any thoughts on like people's clothing or just things looking a certain way? I don't generally have a lot of thoughts on that stuff. Okay. But I did like Brenda's pants in the first scene. They're very swishy. Oh, okay. And I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a period where I feel like people are wearing a lot of flowy skirts and pants. And Rhoda wears a lot of little like head scarves and big chunky jewelry. And everybody, everything is very brightly colored. I don't know if you noticed that. Mm-hmm. Just like super bright like Brenda's apartment is I think she even has a little curtain of beads in the corner (laughs) it's just like bright colors very very happy tones lots of posters on the wall and it it does look like the apartment of a very young woman but it's very of its time too Mm -hmm. yeah so I just think that's kind of fun sorry that I'm not very good at paying attention to that stuff no 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 (laughs) I well I think I think because I was noticing like well with something like WandaVision where it took some of its aesthetic mm-hmm. inspiration for different time periods that it covered and yeah. it's episode that was set in the early 70s it was certainly based on the Brady Bunch and the Partridge family but I think it did take some inspiration from other series of the time and I think this one has not only that sort of bohemian early 70s look but it is also very New York, and um, we've got a we get a lot of sets that are like apartments that are a little bit bigger than they probably should be for what what you're <laughs> supposed to assume that they're. But I did think Brenda's was a little bit more realistic than the apartments on Friends, which we get a couple decades later. Those things were so huge, and Brenda's you do get this. I mean, like Rhoda is like I can't stay here. We are on top of each other. This is way too small. It was a studio. Yeah, and there's a great scene where Joe and Rhoda are arguing, and Brenda goes into a- her bedroom i think no she goes in the bathroom oh, she goes in the bathroom <laughs> yes <laughs> she goes in the bathroom but it's so small that she can hear everything <laughs> yeah yeah it's not going to provide any privacy at all there's no nope. even living room or any other area i remember on um on the new one day at a time they have the grandmother sleeping in a like an alcove area <laughs> yeah. with a, just a curtain over it and that's very realistic and it's not a totally dissimilar sort of style of apartment but that's set today so Mm -hmm. yeah people people who 
create TV shows need to look at a couple actual apartments that are in the price range that their characters could actually afford. Uh, uh, I get that. But at the same time, like, you do need space for the actors to move around and the cameras and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't but want to make it a box. No, I think I think there has to be a certain level of realism with a little aspirational and practical. <laughs> but an apartment like the main one on Friends was just like so ridiculously huge <laughs> so yeah so do you think you might watch more or not? i think i might watch a few episodes just to get a better feel for it okay but yeah i i don't think i'm going to be watching all five seasons of 20 plus <laughs> episodes yeah i think i might watch a, a little bit more but yeah it is a, it is a time commitment but i feel like if there's you know if i'm not quite tired yet and i want to mm -hmm. watch something short before i go to bed this is a good choice Yes, it is a good choice for that. It's nice and relaxing. And it's cute. It is relaxing. And it, like I said, it's not that there's nothing that you cringe at, but I feel like I was surprised at how little I cringed at. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for going on that little journey with me. Yeah. I'm sorry <laughs> that I don't have a lot to say about it. No, that's okay. That's fine. I mean, it was, it was cool, but yeah, I'm middle of the, the road with it right now. But I'll let okay. you know in a couple days or weeks when I watch a couple more episodes. Cool. Well, what are we talking about next week? So next week, we're talking about season two of Netflix's reality competition, The Circle. I'm also going to talk about my first time running an RPG one shot, which was exciting and scary. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to talk about trading songs from each other's Spotify Discover weekly playlist, which it's going to be very interesting, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find me on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. If you want to email us, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Stay healthy and safe and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>